This is a reading of the 14th part of the Christmas Conference for the Foundation of the General Anthroposophical Society, 1923 to 1924. In part 14, I'm going to read the continuation of the Foundation meeting, which I will begin with, which was on the 31st of December at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then I'm going to continue on this same section with then a lecture by Rudolf Steiner that was given on the 31st of December, same day, in the morning. So after a short interval, they, he gave it. And so that is called The Idea of the Future Building in Dornach. But to begin with, I will read the continuation of the Foundation meeting. Uh, this is on the 31st of December, 1923, at 10 o'clock in the morning. Dr. Steiner. My dear friends, once again, as before, we begin with the verses we have taken into ourselves. Soul of man, thou livest in the limbs which bear thee through the world of space, in the spirit's ocean being. Practice spirit recalling in depths of soul, where in the wielding will of world creating, thine own eye comes to being within God's eye and thou wilt truly live in the world-being of man. Soul of man, thou livest in the beat of heart and lung, which leads thee through the rhythm of time, into the realm of thine own soul's feeling. Practice spirit awareness in balance of the soul, where the surging deeds of the world's becoming, thine own eye unite with the world eye and thou wilt truly feel in the soul-weaving of man. Soul of man, thou livest in the resting head, which from the grounds of eternity opens to thee the world thoughts. Practice spirit beholding in stillness of thought, where the eternal aims of God's world-being's light on thine own eye bestow for thy free willing and thou wilt truly think in the spirit foundations of man. And drawing all this together in the remembrance of the event of Golgotha, which gives meaning to the whole of earthly evolution, at the turning of the time, the spirit light of the world entered the stream of earthly being. Darkness of night had held its sway, Day, radiant light, streamed into souls of men. Light that gives warmth to simple shepherds' hearts. Light that enlightens the wise heads of kings. Light divine, Christ, Son, warm thou our hearts, enlighten thou our heads. That good may become what we from our hearts would found what we from our heads would direct in light-filled willing. And we imprint this into ourselves. Rudolf Steiner writes on the blackboard as he speaks, see facsimile 4, page XVII, the bottom. Light divine, Christ Son. We imprint it in such a way that we especially relate to it the closing words, which will be spoken in their threefoldness once more tomorrow. How this light divine, this Son of Christ, shine forth, so that like shining suns they can be heard from east, west, north, south. To this light divine, 
and this Son of Christ, we relate especially the closing words which were spoken on the first day. The spirits of the elements hear it from east, west, north, south. May human beings hear it. As shown on the blackboard, there is light divine underneath it, chr dot, then dash sun, s-u-n. Below that, the spirits of the elements hear it. Below that, from. Below that, e, period, w, period, n, period, s, period. Below that, may human beings hear it. Dr. Steiner. We come now, my dear friends, to the reports announced yesterday. Would Herr Meyer please give his report first? Dr. Meyer, Stuttgart, speaks about, quote, the connection of magnetism with light, close quote. Dr. Steiner. It will be of the greatest importance that a truly anthroposophical method should be made customary in the different branches of scientific life by those individuals who are called to these branches within our anthroposophical circles. Indeed, seen from a certain point of view, this is of the greatest, excuse me, this is of the utmost importance. If you seek the source of the great resistance of our time that has been appearing for decades against any kind of spiritual scientific view, you will find that this resistance comes from the different branches of natural science. These different branches of natural science have developed in isolation, without any view of the world in general. Round about the middle of the 19th century, a general despair began to gain ground in connection with an overall view of the world. People said, all earlier overall views of the world contradict one another, and none of them has led anywhere. Now it is time to develop the sciences purely on an exact foundation without reference to any view of the world. Half a century or more has passed since then, and now any inclination to unite a view of the world with science has disappeared from human minds. Even when scientific research itself urges an attempt to be made, it turns out to be quite impossible, because there is insufficient depth in the spiritual scientific realm. If it should become possible for anthroposophy to give to the different branches of science impulses of method which lead to certain research results, then one of the main obstacles to spiritual research existing in the world will have been removed. That is why it is so important for work of the right kind to be undertaken in the proper anthroposophical sense. Today there is an abyss between art and science. But within science, too, there is an abyss between, for instance, physiology and physics. All these abysses will be bridged if scientific work is done in the right way, in our circles. Therefore, from a general anthroposophical point of view, we must interest ourselves in these different things as much as our knowledge and capacities will allow. A scientific impulse will have to emanate from the anthroposophical society, this must be made evident at the moment when we want to take the Anthroposophical Society into entirely new channels. Now, dear friends, since our stomach needs a very tiny interval between the courses of this feast of spirit and soul, we shall ask Frau Dr. Kalisko to give her report in two or three minutes' time. Dr. Steiner, may I now ask 
Frau Dr. Kalisko to give her report on her special field. Frau Dr. Kalisko speaks about the biological work of the Research Institute in Stuttgart, quote, the effects of microorganisms, close quote. Dr. Steiner. Now, my dear friends, you have seen that quiet work is going on amongst us on scientific questions, and that it is indeed possible to provide, out of anthroposophy, a stimulus for science in a way that is truly needed today. But in the present situation of the anthroposophical movement, such things are really only possible because there are people like Frau Dr. Kalisko who take on the work in such a devoted and selfless way. If you think about it, you will come to realize what a tremendous amount of work is involved in ascertaining all these sequences of data, which can then be amalgamated to form the curve in the graph which is the needed result. These experiments are, from an anthroposophical point of view, details leading to a totality which is needed by science today more urgently than can be said. Yet if we continue to work as we have been doing at present in our research institute, then perhaps in fifty or maybe seventy-five years we shall have come we shall come to the result that we need, which is that innumerable details go to make up a whole. This whole will, then, have a bearing not only on the life of knowledge, but also on the whole of practical life as well. People have no idea today how deeply all these things can affect practical daily life in such realms as the production of what human beings need in order to live or the development of methods of healing, and so on. Now, you might say that the progress of mankind has always gone forward at a slow pace, and that there is not likely to be any difference in this field. However, with civilization in its present brittle and easily destructible state, it could very well happen that in fifty or seventy-five years' time the chance will have been missed for achieving what so urgently needs to be achieved. In the face of the speed at which we are working and having to work, because we can only work if there are such devoted colleagues as Dr. Fraukalisko, a speed which might lead to results in fifty or perhaps seventy-five years. In the face of this speed, let me therefore express not a wish, not even a possibility, but merely perhaps an illusion, which is that it would be possible to achieve the necessary results in five or ten years. And I am convinced that if it were possible for us to create the necessary equipment and the necessary institutes and to have the necessary colleagues, as many as possible to work out of this spirit, then we could succeed in achieving in five or ten years what will now take us fifty or seventy-five years. The only thing we would need for this work would be fifty to seventy-five million francs. Then we would probably be able to do the work in a tenth of the time. As I said, I am not expressing this as a wish, nor even as a possibility, but merely as an illusion, though a very realistic illusion. If we had seventy-five million francs, we could achieve what has to be achieved. This is something that we should at least think about. In a few minutes I shall continue by starting to give a few indications about the idea of the future building in Dornach, indications which I shall continue tomorrow. Parenthesis, a short interval follows before Dr. Steiner's lecture.
And now, the, idea, the lecture entitled The Idea of the Future Building in Dornoch, given on the 31st of December in the morning. My dear friends, as you may imagine, I have recently given much thought to the idea of the building in Dornach, and the situation will most certainly necessitate the earliest possible execution of this idea of this building in Dornach. A great many of you were present in the summer when the financing of the future Gertianum was discussed. Everything that came to light then, when our friends revealed their willingness to make infinite sacrifices, and all the observations of the situation I have made since then force me to the opinion that there is no other way but to proceed as rapidly as possible to the construction of a Gertianum here, even if externally this Gertianum cannot present the image we would dearly have liked to promise ourselves. It seems to me that this Gertianum must be erected in such a way as to make it usable as expediently as possible. But if the idea about the building expressed at the meeting in the summer were to be realized, it would definitely not be possible to use it in a suitable way once it was finished. For is it not so that in considering all the possibilities we must look, might I say, through the walls, that is, through the walls of the wallets of our dear friends? I know very well that what I am about to put to you will be met, out of the utmost good will, by many objections, and yet I still believe that the situation will prove me right when I say that the best way to proceed will be to plan for a Gertianum of which the actual building costs do not exceed three to three and a half million francs. Only then, even with the utmost willingness for sacrifice, shall we be in a position truly, fruitfully, to serve the intentions inaugurated in our new statutes. It would not be at all sensible if, as the Anthroposophical Society, we were to spend every last penny simply on the building itself. This would not be a good thing to do. So, I do believe that the right idea would be to spend about three to three and a half million on the building to start with. If it is to be built in accordance with the situation, as it actually is, then it must be as resistant as possible to damage, such as that which unfortunately destroyed the old Gertianum. And, as I have already pointed out in my articles entitled Das Gertianum, it must make available as much space as possible for anthroposophical activities. So we shall have to restrict ourselves somewhat. But I believe that just because of this we can be all the more certain of achieving what was pointed out yesterday, especially on the part of the young people, that, above all, a spiritual Gertiano must exist here as soon as is in any way possible. Today I want to start by explaining the ground plan of the Gertianum to you, and then, tomorrow, I shall speak more about the elevation, the façade, I want to shape the ground plan and the whole distribution of the space to be taken up by the Gertianum in the following way. The Gertianum will not be as round a building as the old Gertianum was. 
It is all very well to ask why I have not brought the model to show you, my dear friends, but you must not forget that this new Gertianum is to be built in a relatively new material, concrete, and to give a concrete building a truly artistic character in keeping with the material is exceedingly difficult. The solution to this problem is very demanding. You know, Dr. Grossheinz has had a house built near here which I have attempted to design in a style appropriate to concrete. But though I still believe that this style might be considered satisfactory for a dwelling to a certain degree, but only to a certain degree, it would nevertheless be impossible to build a second house to exactly the same plan. In any case, it certainly did not yield an architectural style for a Gertianum built of concrete. For the new Gertianum, it will be necessary to depart, essentially, from the idea of a circular building. We shall come back not to a circular building, but to one that is more rectangular, a building with angles. You can see the intention in the small building lower down the hill that was built to provide a hall for your rhythmic practice. It is built in a different material, but it shows that an angular building has considerable potential. Now, since there is the need to provide stages for Eurythmy and the mystery dramas, it will be necessary to combine an angular building with a circular one. In addition, the new Gertianum will have to provide space for the various activities. We shall need studios and we shall need lecture rooms. A single small white hall in which the fire first broke out a year ago had turned out to be quite inadequate for our purposes. So the next Gertianum would have to be built in such a way that it would have a lower level, a ground floor, and an upper level. The upper level would essentially be the large auditorium for lectures and for those who come to hear and see the performances of Eurythmy, the mystery dramas, and other things. And on the lower level, beneath this auditorium, would be smaller rooms, divided off by walls, which would provide space for artistic and scientific purposes. I also intend to create a space for the administration of the General Anthroposophical Society, so that this can be carried out direct from the Gertianum. In the idea of this building, I also want to solve a certain problem in what, in what seems to me a practical way. The plan will be such that there will be a stage at the rear with a rounded form. Parenthesis, please don't take any notice of the proportions in this drawing. Close parenthesis. The stage will essentially form a semicircle. It will be enclosed by storerooms. And then extending forward there will be at the upper level the auditorium and at the lower level the various rooms with a passageway in between so that in future there will be more freedom of movement in this new Gertianum than there was in the old. In the old Gertianum you stepped straight inside from a vestibule at the entrance. Here, so that there can be freedom of movement, there will be a heated area in which it will be possible to meet and converse in all kinds of ways. And this passageway will give access to the various rooms on the lower level. There's a facsimile 5 on page XIX on the bottom. Then, going up a staircase, you will come to the large auditorium, 
from which you look on to the stage or the space where lectures and other things will take place. The practical problem I just mentioned is the following. In the old Gertianum, great inconvenience was caused by the fact that eurythmy rehearsals had to take place on the stage itself. When visitors came from elsewhere, and I hope they will continue to come in the future, they wanted to see everything, but the auditorium was needed for the work, so it was never possible to allocate time properly in a way that was needed for rehearsals and preparations for performances. I now want to solve this problem by having on the ground floor, that is the lower level, a stage of exactly the same size as that on the upper level. The one on the upper level will serve for the actual performances, while the one down below, having identical measurements, will be for rehearsals only. So there will be a room down below which can serve for all rehearsals up to the dress rehearsal thus leaving the upper auditorium free at all times. The lower hall will have an anteroom just for those taking part in the rehearsals, where they may wait and sit down. On the upper level the stage will give straight on to the auditorium. The auditorium will be the same size as the plan of the rectangular part of the building. In this way it will be possible to work in a practical manner in all the available space. It will not be necessary to make the new Gertianum very much taller than the old Gertianum, since I am not considering a new cupola. I am endeavoring to create a design for the roof which will consist of a series of planes arranged in relation to one another in a way that will, I believe, be no less aesthetically attractive than a cupola. So we shall enter into the Gertianum through a façade on the main front, which I shall describe tomorrow. There we shall find the staircase leading to the main upper space, and we shall have a passageway from which the different rooms are reached, and so on. There will also be entrances at the sides. By making the stage space smaller on plan than the store area, and by extending the walls forwards, we will gain space for the different rooms. At the top, it will be possible to light the whole space with daylight, so that we can alternate between daylight when it is there and artificial light when we need it. In this way it will be possible to have a really practical building in which every cubic foot of space can be used to the full. A great deal will be able to go on in this building all at once, whereas in the old building only one thing at a time could take place. You must consider, my dear friends, that this is not simply intended to be an improvement, which perhaps some might consider a disimprovement, but it is designed to take account of all the developments that have come about. I have often stressed amongst ourselves that if you want to live in reality and not in ideas, then the realities of the time must be given particular recognition. The time in which one lives is a reality, but it is difficult to generate an understanding for this time as being something real. There are still people today who represent the threefolding of the social organism 
with the very sentences I used to use with regard to the conditions prevailing at the time in 1919. History is indeed advancing so rapidly just now that if someone describes things in the way they were described in 1919, this seems to be hundreds of years out of date. Thus, since things have after all been happening in the anthroposophical movement, you cannot build in 1924 as you did in 1913 and 1914. In 1913 and 1914 the idea of the Gertianum arose simply out of the realization that an artistic space would have to be created for the mystery dramas. At that time we really only thought of the mystery dramas and the lectures. But much has happened since those days, and I only wish that even more had happened. But I hope that quite soon a good deal more will happen, even without the 75 million francs I spoke about earlier. This must certainly be taken into consideration. The thing that has happened since 1919 is that Eurythmy has been developed. In 1913 it did not yet exist. It has only developed since. Therefore it cannot be maintained that what was good enough then can be good enough now. Furthermore, although I was assured at the time that the building could be executed at a cost of much less than one million German Reichsmarks, Nevertheless, as you know, the cost in the end was at least seven or eight times as much. So we do not want to do our sums in the abstract this time. We want to reckon with certain quite definite figures. The building must now be executed in such a way that we can start to carry out what is contained in our statutes as soon as possible. This can only happen if we erect it in the manner described. Even so, it will be possible to win from the intractable material of concrete forms that offer something new to the artistic eye. The old forms of the Gertianum, I shall have more to say to you about these things this evening, will have to belong to history, which means your hearts, my dear friends. Forms molded in concrete will have to be something entirely different. Much will have to be done, on the one hand, to force the intractable material of concrete into forms which the eye of the human soul can follow artistically, and on the other hand, to mold seemingly decorative features, which are actually a consequence of the concrete itself, in an artistic and sculptural way, so that the material of concrete can for once be revealed in an artistic manner. I ask you now to regard this idea as the seed out of which the Gertianum shall actually emerge. I have stated that I alone am allowed to work on the artistic creation of the Gertianum and it will not be possible to take on board, to any great extent, any of those offers or suggestions which have already been made, of course with the best intentions. There is no point in telling me of buildings in concrete that have been put up here or there or of factories here or there that are working efficiently. If the Gertianum building is to come about in concrete, it will have to emerge from an original idea. And nothing that has so far been achieved in concrete can serve as a basis for what is to come into being here. This, my dear friends, is what I wanted to say to you today, 
It was not in any way intended to put a stop to the collections already set in train by our dear friend Van Leer or by others representing the different countries. The sum originally envisaged will still be needed if we are to carry out what must of necessity be carried out. Perhaps I can spur on your zeal in this direction even more by saying that we shall try to use the money you collect in the most economical way by putting it toward anthroposophical work in the sense that it will be used for running the Gertianum and that the Gertianum will be built using the smallest amount possible. We shall endeavor here to bring a Gertianum into being in the shortest possible time. Tomorrow I shall speak about the image the Gertianum will present to the outside, namely its façade. I now want to return to something that is being brought to me from many sides like a derivative of fear. On all sides I am being asked how the three classes and the sections of the School of Spiritual Science at the Gertianum are to be handled. My dear friends, in the first place the sections are no one's concern. The sections are being set up for the work here. There is no need for us to discuss the sections. They will exist in accordance with whatever is achieved. So really, we can only speak about the general anthroposophical society as the foundation and about the three classes. And I believe that everything relevant is stated with absolute clarity in our statutes. In paragraph 5 it says, quote, Members of the society will be admitted to the school on their own application after a period of membership to be determined by the leadership at the Gertianum. They enter in this way the first class of the School of Spiritual Science. Admission to the second or third classes takes place when the person requesting it is deemed eligible by the leadership at the Gertianum. Close quote. Quote, paragraph 7. The organizing of the School of Spiritual Science is, to begin with, the responsibility of Rudolf Steiner, who will appoint his collaborators and his possible successor. Close quote. These sentences express, I believe, with absolute clarity that it is necessary to apply to me personally, either in writing or in person. It would be better to start by saying, in writing, since there will be too many personal applications to be dealt with on the spot. The matter will be taken from there. That is what is sa it says here. The storm of queries is perhaps not so much the result of unclarity as of the necessity, my dear friends, to become accustomed to clarity. Perhaps unclarity is what is wanted in some quarters. Pedantry must be excluded, and bureaucracy will be banished across the border. But in everything that emanates from here, at least this is what we intend, absolute clarity shall reign. From what is written here, it is clear that a little note is all that is needed. The little note should be addressed to me personally and you will see how the answer will be given. You must have confidence. That is what I wanted to say. Herr Hall has asked to speak about the building of the Gertianum. Please would you now speak. Herr Hall speaks on this subject. The end of part 14.